Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right, we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are. That's right. Oh, uh, what nice. if I? What? No, no, go ahead, go ahead. You first. Oh, I was just going to say, what if I started speaking in a different accent? As long as it wasn't, like, offensive. No, like, what if I decided to affect a new accent for when I talk as a classic gaming brother? Like, if I put on a ridiculous radio voice. Like, classic gaming brothers, we're the brothers. Anyway, what were you going to say? I was going to say that I'm going to be at Retro World Expo on the 26th and 27th. Nice. Which is going to be exciting. Yes, it is exciting. And the following weekend is the weekend of your birth. Yes, yes, it is my birth weekend. I was it took me many days. <laughs> no, but it is going to be a celebration of my birthday. I'm big. I'm going to be the big three zero. Wow, really? I am. I'm going to be thirty. It's unfortunate. <laughs> it sure is, especially because like I've been dealing with this back pain, which is like the worst way to end my twenties. That's how you start your thirties. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Zach, what have you been recently been playing? Recently, Seth, I was just playing some classic, classic StarCraft. The the great game that originally came out in 1998. I've just been playing the version that's free to play uh, via Battle.net. It's the full original game, not the remastered version. And there's really not much to say about StarCraft. We did a whole episode about StarCraft, so that's why I'm not going to like go into how much I love the game, because you already know how much I love the game, unless you're a brand new listener. But in any case... I love StarCraft. It's a great game. I was just playing through the campaign. I was playing through the the Terran campaign. I got to the level where you meet Jim Rayner. You know, you build your build your stuff and then you train your troops. I, I'm not always a big fan of these early levels in real-time strategy games because they're just basically tutorial stuff. And I'm like, I know how to play this game. So I always wish there was like a way you could just skip those early levels. But then like, I feel like I'm missing the story. part of the story. Yeah. yeah. Like I could just skip the Terran campaign but I like the Terran campaign because it's fun. Just get to the part where you build battle cruisers. I guess I could play the expansion pack because I think the expansion pack just doesn't have the tutorial missions for the first. You could just man up and beat the beginning missions. I guess I could, but I don't like hate them. It's just like, I I, I just get tired of the people bossing me around and telling me how to mine Vespian gas. They're like, did you know that you could build a refinery? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, of course I did. I built four already. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I like I like StarCraft. It's a great game. I'll probably play more of it. I was just in the mood to play it after we uh, kind of alluded to it recently when we were talking about the Warhammer games. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we talked about how StarCraft is kind of similar to 40K, but uh, it's also kind of different. But yeah, that's what I've been playing. Seth, what about you? Recently, I've been playing Guardians of the Galaxy, which was developed by Eidos Montreal and released back on October 26th of 2021. You play as Peter Quill, also known as Star-Lord, and you have minor control over the rest of the guardians so that's Groot, Rocket, Gamora, and Drax. When you're in a combat with them all you can use their other special abilities. Groot entangles people, Rocket throws grenades, Drax targets one person and stabs them a bunch and Gamora targets one person and slashes them a bunch. At least that's their intro level powers. They develop more powers as you play the game. It is a action adventure with some light role play elements.
developments where you can develop your powers and buy and upgrade your equipment. There's dialogue options that I don't know if they have any pertinence to the story. There's also a Guardians of the Galaxy Telltale game that's out there. This is not that. This is shooting sequences, blasting stuff around. They do have some really cool first person modes where you can walk around Peter Quill's house, his original house, and also um, the ship when you get to like handle things. Um, Yeah, it starts off with like a dream sequence where he's in his original, like his home that he grew up in. Yeah, like his house on Earth. Yeah, his house on Earth and his mom comes in, but it's all from a first person perspective and you can handle like everything that's around his house it's almost like um gone home except if you were in peter quill's room oh cool and then uh then you go to the ship and you can walk around the ship and kind of interact with everybody and i believe that switches you still in first person or transitions you right to third person and then like the when you land on the planet that's all third person you blast people and you get jet boots and fly around and it's fun i've been enjoying it i it plays really well on my steam Steam Deck, and it's a very good Steam Deck type of game. It's not too intense like Baldur's Gate, where I feel like I need to be on my computer though i'm pretty sure i'll inevitably play that on my steam deck as well but it does get my steam deck very warm so i don't know if i would actually play it on a plane unless i'm very sure that i'm plugged in because it and spider-man tend to really cook my steam deck so then you come over to like my seat in the plane and all of a sudden like it's like 20 degrees warmer just around me but yeah it's it's been a lot of fun i've been i've been enjoying it the one thing that you have to get over is they do not have any of the voice actors. So they are all played by different people. And that's just a little jarring because those, the actors, they also don't look like them. You have to think of it as if they took the comics and made it into a video game, yeah, not the yeah. show into a video game. Because the characters kind of look like their comic renditions, not their movie renditions, which is hard because the people who play those characters are very much and their voices um are very much ingrained into our heads as those are who they are yeah so like it's hard hearing like a non-vin diesel saying i am groot that was an issue i had with avengers which was published by square enix but it was by crystal dynamics but my problem wasn't that they looked like they pulled their comic book characters it looked like they like photocopied the movie characters but they were out of toner <laughs> i feel like that game's more actiony than guardians I, it definitely is and that game is also more based on like having multiplayer drop in drop out like destiny style gameplay and also microtransactions yeah guardians doesn't have any microtransactions that i know of i don't believe there's a multiplayer but there is a story and that that story has been pretty fun i I like part of it you're in the first planet you have to place these like pounders to scare out an enemy that you're hunting and um during part of the, the game you're with rocket and rocket's like oh i can shoot more of these slugs than you can and you could be like sure you're on and then all of a sudden there's a little scoreboard that goes up on the top of your screen and then you and rocket have to shoot slugs just through the rest of the level yeah so that's it guardians of the galaxy well today's episode we're not talking about guardians we're talking about 
Golden Axe. And uh, we're talking about the classic Golden Axe, the first Golden Axe, the one that uh, Seth and I certainly grew up with playing on our Sega Genesis. Seth, do you have any memories in particular of Golden Axe? So in Golden Axe, in the original one, you can play as a Shiro looking woman, the He-Man looking man, or the dwarf. And uh, I remember that I usually played as the dwarf. He had a big axe. He could shoot lightning um, if he collected enough bottles. Some of the things that I remember most fondly is the, the little gnome that you beat the crap out of to take his the magic bottles out of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he like jumps on the screen really quick and you just like beat him up and he like yeah, knocks he, like, him out of his back. Yeah, you just punch him around. And the dragon, like the, they're not dragons. They're like the little weird dinosaurs that you can ride. Yeah, yeah. They're this weird, they look like chickens, but they're dinosaurs. But they're not big dinosaurs. <laughs> right, no, yeah. They're like just a little bit bigger than the dwarf, and the dwarf is climbing on them to ride. Yeah. Like a monitor lizard <laughs> was walking down the street, and you decided to ride it. A little bigger than that. And that they had like the tail action, and they can spin around. I remember that. It's a fun little beat em up game. Zach, do you have any uh, Do you have any distinct memories about it? I, I mean, mostly the memories that you've already talked about. Definitely the little gnome guy who's yeah, actually, like a I gremlin. learned, called, yeah, they're actually called sprites. Like Ooh, that was the, that's sprites. the species. Yeah, they're like a fairy sprite yeah they would show up in the bonus stage when your characters are napping around the campfire and it'd be like three of them are like zooming around and you have to literally get up and kick them or like hit them with your axe um and then you pick up the the potions they drop um i also remember the music in the game i thought the music was great um and to this day i just whenever i hear the golden axe like theme i think it it harkens to like a very classic kind of sega like when you have some sega games that came out a little later i feel like they were able to do a bit more with the the yamaha chip in there and they could kind of uh expand on the sound quality but when you get those early early sega games it's a very distinct sound to them and that is like golden x to me it's a very crunchy distinct sound uh speaking of crunchy the sound effect whenever you hit someone was always this very satisfying like Um, when you were like batting someone in the head with a hilt of your sword. And I think that's an important aspect for beat-em-up games to have like um, a solid sound. I I feel like there are beat-em-up games that are out there that don't have that solid of a sound and they don't, they're not as fondly as as people remember. So like um, Streets of Rage, Golden Axe, the X-Men, I feel like all have really solid like when you're hitting somebody, you feel like you're actually hitting them and there i'm sure there's beat-em-up games that don't and we don't remember them but the crunchiness of a sound is important yeah i mean it's a complaint i've had recently playing games where i i feel like i talked about a game not too long ago where it was like a beat-em-up and i complained that the, it's just not satisfying when you fight um hmm. you you like to have that sense of contact when you're in combat to give you almost uh, feedback. Was it Turtles? No, it wasn't Turtles. I forget what it was. It might have been one of the games we played at PAX or something, like one of the games we demoed. But it's just a problem that you get, I feel, when you have, you, you need to have that sense of contact, even if it's not like your controller vibrating. Um, having that sound cue helps make the game just so much more satisfying. Now, to get into the history of Golden Axe, Golden Axe was designed by Makoto Uchida of Sega R&D 1. Um, Uchida is actually currently, I believe, the president of Sega of China. Before he worked on Golden Axe, he previously worked on the game Altered Beast, which was a major success for Sega. Altered Beast is one of the reasons why when people went to buy the Turbo Graphics, they bought Sega Genesis instead. Yeah, absolutely. The game itself was heavily inspired by Conan 
Conan the Barbarian, and particularly the design of the character Axe Battler, who is the blue guy who wields a sword in the game, but on the cover he wields an axe. He's that man that kind of looks like He-Man. And in an interview with Cheetah, he actually explained that he had a love for both the Conan Barbarian films and the Lord of the Rings books, uh, particularly when it came to the visuals of the, both of those, and those are very influential to the design of the game and to the game's gameplay. Yeah, I could I could definitely see the influence of Conan the Barbarian in Golden Axe. It's very um, sword and sorcery style. There is a graphic styling that was really popular in the 70s and 80s of, that was like sword and sorcery, and it was everywhere. It was on the cover of your fantasy novels. It was on your... It was in your magazines. It was in your video games. It was in your comics. It was just... Yeah, everywhere. It was was Conan. Um, even like I mentioned He-Man earlier, but like Conan and Xena, Warrior Princess, very sordid sorcery type, or like some of the heavy metal magazines at the time, and it's just that aesthetic that's like everything looks fully painted, and like the women are drawn in a particular way and the men are always drawn in a particular way the men are buff and the women are buxom the men are also a little buxom (laughs) that's true everyone's very uh v-shaped yeah everyone is very v-shaped and altered beast kind of has that too altered beast i think also is a bit like that but mythical like like a hercules as opposed to conan after altered beast was released sega had asked the research team to come up with a brand new game and they wanted something that could be run on the same arcade board as Altered Beast, the System 16. They also wanted something that could compete with Double Dragon, which was a massive hit in the arcades at the time. The reason they wanted something to run on the same arcade board was likely a logistics thing, right? A lot of times when companies were introducing new arcade games, they would simply convert the old boards into these new games. So it was very easy if a game could be run on an old board, so you can just convert those old boards, put them in a new case, and ship them out. Because you just send conversion kits as opposed to shipping out. It's It was cheaper for everyone involved if you could just convert because yeah. you would just as the manufacturer just have to send a conversion kit you as the retailer only had to buy a conversion kit it also guaranteed a bit of space for you because the retailer may have if they have a machine that wasn't being performing as successful they would eventually have to discontinue that machine and move it out of their shop yeah however absolutely. If you came to the retailer and said, hey, I got a conversion brand new game, you can just convert your Alter Beasts PCBs and turn them into Golden Axes. You also continue to maintain the prime space that you probably had with the Alter Beast cabinet. Now, Uchida knew that challenging Double Dragon would be tough, um, but he also felt that he could have an arcade game that not only would compete with Double Dragon, but also against console games like Dragon Quest. And from here is where he started to really come up with the idea in the early designs of Golden Axe. Uchida's father loved action movies, and Uchida himself was very familiar with them, having watched a lot with his father. In fact, in an interview, he mentioned renting that VHS tape for Conan and wearing that tape out because he would just watch it over and over and over again. And he also had recently read The Lord of the Rings and was interested in the illustrations in the copies of the books that he had, so he would use those illustrations directly as reference material. Uchida decided to copy some elements from Double Dragon, specifically the support 
support for two players simultaneously. An early plan was to have the game be three players simultaneously, hence the three different characters, but there were hardware restrictions and they could only get a maximum of six characters total, so players and enemies, on the screen at one time. They would add more than two player simultaneous co-op in future Golden Axe titles though. Now, Uchida was also aware that beat-em-ups had a repetition to them in terms of their combat, so they intentionally made sure that the sound effects would be satisfying, which is something we talked at the top of the show about, having crunchy sound effects. They also had to essentially design a game that was exclusively weapon-based, as other beat-em-ups often consisted of hand-to-hand combat and sporadic usage of weapons. They wanted to make it so you always had your weapon. And he actually talked about it in an interview saying it was kind of like designing when a baseball bat would hit a baseball um you know when coming up with the hitboxes and stuff your sword is not where your fist would be so right. obviously your character shouldn't be very close to someone if they're able to make contact and he wanted it to be that precise that feeling of smacking something with a baseball bat translating into the game achita also wanted to add button combos as he had enjoyed how they were implemented in the original street fighter furthermore the addition of the rideable beasts came from an art asset that Uchida had saw, it was a painted asset of a character riding a creature with a saddle. And after seeing it, he said, we should just put that in the game. So he, he thought, they had to be added. In the interview with Retro Gamer, he also said that he added magic in the game because he happened to have knowledge of element-based magic, which he didn't really elaborate on. It's a good quote. He just says like, well, I happen to have knowledge of element-based magic. And then he just kind of goes on to the next topic. Oh, another fun quote from Uchida, I just want to say, when he was talking about Lord of the Rings, he said, I would vote for Gandalf, which is a very good sentence. He sounds like a blast. Golden Axe would enter the arcade in 1989, it was promptly ported to every video game system under the sun, including Sega Genesis, the Sega Master System, the Sega Game Gear, Sega CD, the Amiga, the Atari ST, the Amstrad CPC, the Commodore 64, the IBM PC, the PC Engine CD, the Wonder Swan, and the ZX Spectrum. Not all of them great ports, some of them pretty bad ports. Of all the ports, the Genesis version was widely considered to be the most faithful to the arcade game. I'm sure the Sega CD was very similar as well. I think the biggest complaint about the Sega CD version is that it has load times. The Genesis probably was the best system to port it on, but uh, it did go to all these other systems. Now, the gameplay plays like a, I would say, standard beat-em-up. You enter from one screen, enemies enter from the other screen, you beat up the enemies and move on. And there's all a variety of enemies. There's like skeletons, there's monsters, there's just these big buff dudes that are bald. It's just various enemies that you fight. So you're fighting all these these bad guys and um, once you beat them all from one screen, you get a big flashing arrow that says, go, and you move to the next screen. And there are three playable characters. Gilius Thunderhead, who is a dwarf who wields a battle axe, Axe Battler, who is a barbarian that wields a broadsword, and Tyrus Flare, an Amazon who wields a longsword. Each character is seeking to kill Death Adder, an evil entity that has captured the king and his daughter. The characters all also have personal connections to Death Adder. Gilius's twin brother was killed by Death Adder soldiers, Axe Battler's mother was murdered by Death Adder, and Tyrus Flare's parents were killed by Death Adder as well. So they all have this personal vengeance that they want to uh, enact on Death Adder, and thus leads them all to become a team. Fun fact is at the end of the arcade, 
arcade version of the game, there's a sequence where you see kids playing the arcade cabinet, and then the cabinet breaks, and all the monsters from the game flood out into the real world with the heroes chasing the monsters out of the game. It's a very cute little sequence. I watched it. Um, it's all done in the game's like graphics, so it's all like it's like 16-bit people playing the arcade cabinet, and then they just start like popping out of the game and stuff like that. It's very good. The game also features some bonus stages, uh, including the one that we alluded to at the top of the episode, where tiny creatures called sprites who carry bags of potions and other items run around and you have to beat them up. These potions can be used for the elemental magic that uh, Uchida was so very familiar with. And another fun element is that in the, uh, I know this happens in the arcade game, I forget if it happens in the Sega game, but if you take too long to move from one screen to the next, skeleton swordsmen will just pop out of the ground and start fighting you. The home version of the game also included a dual mode, where players can fight against increasingly more powerful enemies and also a one-on-one combat option. Now, we're doing the numbers. Golden Axe did incredibly well on release in a July 1989 issue of the Japanese magazine Game Machine, which is a magazine that we reference a lot because they were very critical in archiving this information. It's stated to be the second most successful table arcade cabinet of the month. It was later listed as the 18th highest grossing arcade game of 1989 in Japan. In the United States, it was the highest grossing arcade game of January of 1990. The ZX Spectrum version was rated as number two in UK sales chart, being only beaten out by the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which if you're going to get beaten out by somebody on the sales charts, it's probably going to be Turtles. In 20... 11, there was an Xbox Live arcade version, and it sold 167,935 units. In terms of legacy, the game received an exclusive Genesis sequel called Golden Axe 2, and an arcade sequel called Golden Axe The Revenge of Death Adder. There was also a third sequel for the Genesis slash Mega Drive released as Golden Axe 3, which was given a cartridge release in Japan, but it was a Sega Channel exclusive in North America, meaning it was not released on cartridge here. There are a bunch of like reproduction copies you can get of Golden Axe 3. It's one of those things that you see if you go to a store, but the Japanese cartridge in particular is like a sought after game because the games aren't really, they're not text heavy, so you can pretty pretty much play it in any language. Yeah, and it's a good thing that it was released in a physical format in Japan because if it wasn't, it'd be like Garfield. And it would be lost. Another sequel and the first 3D entry of the series, Golden Axe Beast Rider, was released in 2008 for the Xbox 360 and PS3. There were also three spin-offs: Golden Axe Warrior, a Master System action role-playing game. Axe Battler, a Legend of Golden Axe, which was a Game Gear action game. And Axe Battler still is the guy that uses the sword. <laughs> he sure is. <laughs> and Golden Axe The Duel, which was a fantasy-themed fighting game. Maybe Axe Battler is looking for the Golden Axe. And until then... He, he can only wield swords. Maybe Axe Battler was named Axe Battler because his parents wanted him to use an axe growing up and he's rebelling against them. Oh. Now, many of the Golden Axe games, specifically the Genesis versions, have been re-released on things like the Sega Smash Pack, the Sega Genesis Collection, Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection, and on the Virtual Console. And as we mentioned, there was a version on Xbox Live. There was also an enhanced remake with 3D graphics that was released for the PS2 as part of the Sega Ages line which had other 3D remakes of classic Genesis titles, like Altered Beast and Outrun. In October of 2021, it was included in the Switch Online Plus Expansion Pack as part of the games available for the Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive. There was a comic storyline featuring the characters of Golden Axe that appeared in Sonic the Comic, the Fleetway comic series. Uh, so Sonic the Comic wasn't just a Sonic comic, it was called Sonic the Comic, but it had a Shinobi storyline that it ran, it had the Golden Axe 
backstory line. It had a couple other like Sega character storylines that were separate from Sonic. So Sonic didn't like interact with these people. They would just be like stories in the comic. And then eventually they phased all those other stories out. It became just Sonic. And because I have to mention them, there are also two known Famicom bootlegs that share the Golden Axe name. One is a demake of Golden Axe 3 produced by Fushuo Waishing. And another is a pirated hacked copy of the NES game Astrian Axe, uh, which was sold in some countries as Golden Axe 4. Uh, the Golden Axe 3 demake does not play very well, but it's pretty uh, pretty impressive otherwise. The Asterian Axe uh, NES pirate hack just literally changes the title screen to say Golden Axe 4. That's all it does, so <laughs> I don't think they're I don't think they're fooling many people. <laughs> and that will do it for our Golden Axe episode. Not the shorter side, but Golden Axe is kind of a simple game. Now, getting into our retro rewind, Seth had me play Carmageddon, which is pretty fun. I played the demo, which gave me a good feel for the game. Uh, you drive around and cause damage and earn points by causing damage. So, like, the first thing I did in the game was I hit a pedestrian, actually by accident, but then I realized you get points for doing this, and I was like, I see. It is a violent game. I mean, most video games are violent, but this one kind of has a certain 1990s gore to it, where people, like, explode when you hit them. It is a game that is available to be downloaded from Steam or GOG. Uh, again, I played the demo, which was the demo I found on archive.org, but you could get the full game currently on Steam for like 10 bucks if you want it. Uh, do I recommend it? Again, if you don't mind a little 1997 gore, then sure. Uh, it does kind of play like a version of Midtown Madness where if you could actually hit the pedestrians, as opposed to in Midtown Madness where the pedestrians conveniently dive out of the way as soon as you get close to them. Next week, Seth, I want you to play SWAT Cats for the Super Nintendo. Now, are they swatting or are they swatting? Uh, they're swatting. Okay. Zach had me play Legend of the Mystical Ninja, which was released in the U.S. in 1992 for the SNES, and um, it was released in 1991 for the Super Famicom in Japan. Developed and published by Konami as an action platformer, which is primarily what Konami was doing back in the early 90s, was making action platformers um, or mascot platformers. So the and they're all really good games. A number of, I would say Konami put out a lot more hits than they did misses back in the in the 90s and the legend of mystical ninja is also a hit it's uh the game is excellent has excellent art the sprites are perfect and you can even go through the game with another player in fact one of the cool aspects of the game is there there's platforming in it and you have to like jump up and go through these complicated spots where like if somebody falls off the screen they die and it gets complicated when there's two players doing a complicated jumping maneuver in legend of mystical ninja one of the players can just jump on the other player's back and that's a great feature i feel like if zach and i had this game when we were kids uh we would have played the ever-living poop out of it because not only does it have a very strong core game mechanic there's also a lot of mini games in the game most of them to deal with betting there's some side scrolling aspects there's like isometric moving aspects so it just feels like um like a variety mario game like games within games there's even um there's a shoot 'em up so there's a lot of like mini games as well as like regular game you have to get to the mini games and there's like little shops and stuff it's great uh it's a really good game top tier definitely if you're looking for that 16-bit era fun game to be honest legend of the mystical ninja is not really a hidden gem i think it's gotten pretty much covered by every youtuber everywhere yeah but there's a reason for that and that's because it's a solid game holds up if you want to hit that nostalgia button or that nostalgia thing and head back in time and play a really good game check out legend of mystical ninja zach you could play shadow man for the n64 i will 
that's going to be our episode, everybody. Um, we appreciate you listening. We always, we do. We really do. We we actually really like, um, we've gotten some comments and stuff about people waiting for our episode to come out on Sunday, which is stoked. Absolutely stoked that you're, that you are. I mean, I, I wouldn't, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I'm glad that somebody is. So if you want to uh, send us praise or our feedback, you can always send us an email, classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. You can also follow us on all the social socials uh facebook instagram and twitch we're all at classic gaming brothers uh twitter we're cg brothers pod and blue sky where something something you know in a couple of months we'll probably figure out this whole social media thing and wherever we go we'll we'll probably not use it as we don't use the ones that we currently do uh anyway it will always show when the episodes release though and that's on sunday so you can wait for sunday for the episodes to come out you can listen to us wherever podcasts are listened to and that's i think everything zach am i missing anything don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been zach and I've been Seth. And we've been the classic gaming brothers. That's, That's right. right. <laughs>